Hi, this is Sean Cahill, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. That UFO Podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio-quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio-quality sound, chat and footnotes. All running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy with your breakdown for September, pretty much for the full month. I think this is the first one for the month, namely because I've been pretty lazy. Uh, Dan joins me for this one. Dan, welcome. Uh, Yeah, hi. Um, I I should have, uh, you know, I'm like trumpets sounding, but I think people expect me on the breakdown now. So yeah, <laughs> we we don't need big intros. No, no, there's plenty to talk about as well, and we've got a couple of bigger topics to discuss. First off, including Chris Mellon on Linda Moulton Howe, which we'll get to, which is a strange combination. Um, even though they're both involved in the same topic, uh, the Wilson Davis controversy slash progress slash update that happened recently as well that's kind of got people talking and again has has people kind of button heads a little bit uh, online and then of course i've got some news to run through including the the recent nim aviation logo that came out with the saucer on it a debrief classification article the dark asteroid smash and then some other bits and pieces as well to run through at the end so it should be a nice summation of what's kind of gone on this month just again to show folks there is a whole lot going on if you think things are quiet in the world of ufos slash uaps slash whatever you want to call them but here we are listen first up um pretty fresh as well we're recording this on the 29th of September. It'll be out on the 29th of September for folks to listen to straight off the bat. Um, Chris Mellon has been on with Linda Moulton Howe um, just just last night. It was on the 29th as we speak in the UK, but it was the 28th still in the US because time travel. That's how that happened. <laughs> um, this, this is one that got people kind of the eyebrows raised. Chris Mellon and Linda Moulton Howe, Dan, while they're very much too two people involved in the the same subject they seem worlds apart don't they and like it was really weird and seeing them together like kind of when the rock faced hulk hogan it was like ah oh, you've both done this for years but never expected to see you in the same place at the same time even though yeah. they do the same thing that's a good way of putting it just very different eras of ufology yeah. right? you know and it's different nice mantras, to see different philosophies different yeah, yeah. you you could kind of see that tension in the conversation sometimes you know linda wanted mm. to probably talk about Antarctica and Spartan one and two and all those kind of really interesting things. But Chris was like legislation, like, <laughs> you know, a laser focus. Yeah. So seeing them come face to face, actually my note I put down at the time was it's like when you see your mum and dad who have been divorced for several years together at a parent's night. Um, <laughs> and there's just that kind of awkwardness between them, but they're there to have a similar type of discussion, but maybe get different things out of it. Um, straight away, Linda asks about the upcoming amendments and legislation uh, changing how pilots, for example, having to sign NDAs after a, an encounter with a UFO, that could change. What would the process be? Is it going to make things easier? And I think at the start, I thought, oh, interesting. This is going to be maybe the tone of the conversation. But spoiler alert, like you say, Linda quickly brings things back to, to animal mutilations, abductions, pretty quick in the conversation. The conversation's only about fifteen minutes long, Dan. But it's... yeah, really, really short one. Like those divorced parents, you know, they they keep yeah. it they keep it snappy. 
they've got their slot and to be fair they were together at a conference weren't they and I think this has very much been probably rather hastily arranged uh, Linda's asked for the time Chris has been been good enough to give her that time and she deserves it to be fair and it's been what can we get done but he was there for and this is just my opinion folks and you know I can be wrong sometimes but it seemed like he was there to have one conversation she was there to have another and she was doing her best to ask the questions she wanted to, which I can totally appreciate, by the way. But at the same time, he was only there to give certain answers. And I, I've put down, Chris Malin seems like a fantastic filter to have between people like Linda, who have done a lot of work in research and do have a lot of knowledge, but potentially very biased knowledge. Like maybe you could put a Stephen Greer in the same category uh-huh. as a filter between what, should go through to places like Congress with politicians and policy makers and decision makers, but also be able to get rid of all that other stuff that is just not part of the conversation right now. Um, th- does that feel fair? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, and and that's what we kind of need to do, right? You know, we we can't go to Congress. Imagine if in those hearings we started bringing up all the uh, the kind of the wooier aspects of, yeah. of the conversation. People would switch off. You, you know, there were, there were plenty of complaints about the the stranger stuff being brought into the Brazilian hearings, but that's just the culture there. They're more accepting of it. So, you know, it wouldn't rub locals up in the same way as it rubs people looking in up. Uh, But yeah, Chris was nice and focused on the legislative stuff, Uh, you know, reminding people that there are people in uh, Arrow, the UAP task force now that don't feel like they're getting all the answers and this legislation that's coming in is designed to to help them get to where they want to be so that they can study this. That will probably come with a name change for the UAP office as well, to the UAP JPO, which is Joint Program Office, uh, which basically means that everyone's working together. Um, something that I didn't know that Linda mentioned is that her brother saw a craft at Malmstrom Airbase. Yes. Yeah, that was new to me as well. And I thought, is that new? Or is that something that she just dropped in? Maybe a long time, like hardcore listeners of Linda excuse the language of hardcore don't know if that's the right way way to say it she doesn't have an only fans um but <laughs> long time listeners of linda maybe knew that already but yeah i was a bit surprised at that um and and to be fair chris took the stuff like that in, in the nature it was intended but always bringing it back to to legislation um she did ask about the if this goes through would it become law in the, the January time? And he said, yeah, it should, if it goes through and is successful, it'll be enacted by the year's end and then should become law January 2023 without any issues or anything that gives it in the, in the background. Yeah, precisely. As soon as it signed in last year, we saw it signed in around Christmas, you know, the same week of. And as soon as it's signed, it's basically all systems go for, for the UAP JPO office. And and I'm sure that Dr. Kirkpatrick, who currently runs Arrow, would love all the help that he can get to kind of sift through this history of information and things that he is or he isn't getting to, to study. Now, Linda outright asks Chris if he would be surprised if an announcement came out soon that we weren't alone in the universe and it kind of laughs doesn't he and very quickly kiboshes that i like the word kibosh and (laughs) says i would be surprised yes i don't think we're we're near that um that's not what this process is about again it's that that to me showed that change and divide of but people really want to ask this stuff and chris mellon being frustratingly level-headed but you expect that from him at this point it's it's his role in all of this is very much the he far more than lou elizondo 
is seems to be the guy who's doing a lot of the work in the background and just now and again steps out to say, here's where we're at. Here's an interesting article. Here's where it's pushing things down the line and then goes back to doing what he's doing, um, which is obviously very much appreciated by many. Um, but he, he just puts that straight on there. Look, no, that's not what this is about. This isn't about, you know, disclosure as such and the, the president announcing anything. Um, however, what I thought was thought was interesting is Chris does drop a timescale on things and says, yeah. hopefully in a year or two, we'll know more about the truth of this and we can stop the speculating. Which again, because Linda just before that for context had talked again about mutilations, abductions, and he just doesn't go there in the conversation, but seems to 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 give indication that, you know what, in a year or two, it's possible that we've got some answers to this kind of stuff. And I thought that was a very interesting yeah. way because he doesn't seem the kind of guy to throw out kind of spurious language and, and just throw numbers on things. Because again, like when Lou Elizondo mentioned the, the five years comment, everyone jumped on that. And any time, and in the upcoming interview, people are going to hear with Jim Semivan, um, you've not even listened to that yourself yet, Dan. I've only sent it to you yesterday. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's on my computer ready to edit, but I haven't jumped into Here, it yet. Here's a, a, mini, a mini spoiler, but a spoiler on really nothing. But And I joked with Jim about this at the time. He mentions a date of April 15th, 2023. Okay. Just talking about, you know, if something happened, blah, blah, blah. And I, I made the comment to him that just because you have now said that, people will look into that date as... Jim Semivan said, and he was like, "No, no, no!" I've, I've, and he laughed. I've literally just picked that date. <laughs> Chris Mellon doesn't seem like that type of guy who is just throwing out a timescale of a year or two. So for me, that seems that he's confident to a degree that within the next twelve to twenty-four months, showing that I know what a year is, we could really have a little bit more progress, or quite a bit more progress than than we're seeing now. So hope, yeah, hope for you in that one. It's interesting to extrapolate forward the legislation that we've got going through this year. You know, people have pointed out essentially that there's no punishment if no one wants to come forward to talk about this thing. You know, this year it's all carrot, you know, kind of saying, hey, you know, if you come to us, we will make sure that you're not prosecuted and that you're protected from the people that made you sign an NDA, so on and so forth. But then if you think next year's legislation, because this is built on last year's legislation already. So next year's is probably going to be, hey, we gave you a year to come forward and you haven't. So we're going to start kicking in the door now. So we'll probably see some language about repercussions and things like that. So it's interesting to think that Chris's timescale is set essentially after they've put out the carrot and the stick to kind of say, okay, you know, the, this is the punishment. This is the reward. Which, which do you want? And he seems pretty confident that uh, people, people are ready to talk. However, just to clear up on that, it's not a case of people are going to come forward and, in a public sense, spill all the beans about what they know in terms Correct. of classified projects, crash retrieval programs, and that that's not what this is about. Chris Mellon's trying to get that language in there and these people to come forward, along with many others. But most of that, if not all of it, is going to happen in a classified setting still, probably, or or behind closed door setting. Um and yeah. I know that the, the Frank Milburn interview, a little bit divisive, I think is the word that we're all using. Um, and some of the things Frank said, and Frank's a very brash guy and, and has his own way of saying things. He's very things. frank about things. He's very frank, very Milburn-y. <laughs> um, but he made a very fair point, and others have said this too, that it's not just as easy as, well, the UFO community want people to come forward and talk about it, so they will. It's like, Dan, like if you were in that position and you had a family and a career, and, and generally, you had loved ones. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. We're going to let you talk about what you want to talk about. But there's then no doubt 
awful as it sounds, threats that happen in the background and you know oh it's a shame if your wife lost her job and your kids got kicked out of that private school and what can happen in the snowball effect and consequence of those people still coming out so it's all very well and good people saying yeah well whistleblowers are all going to come forward now there's probably fair reason for many of them to not want to come forward and like frank sort of said some of them potentially to a level of needing to go into some sort of extreme witness protection program depending on what they come forward and say. So yeah. it's all well and good saying, yep, the legislation will be there for people to come forward. Coming forward's a whole nother ball game. And I, I can totally appreciate that that human element of things that maybe people just don't consider. Um and that's that's very important, I think, in this. And anyone that can come forward, you know, we we've heard that people like Eric Davis have has already testified behind closed doors. So when we're talking about this legislation being set up to protect people, we're not talking about people like Eric Davis, who's quite frankly said out loud, you know, we're dealing with craft that are not from this, not made by human hands, you know. Mm. So essentially, that signifies that there are people from the legacy programs waiting to come forward because this language doesn't really get written if there aren't. But I wonder how many pilots, you know, for example, Ryan Graves, uh, you, you know, he's been out there talking about the gimbal and the events that surrounded it and things like that. But we've never heard from the actual pilots because supposedly they were still in service and, and you know, they couldn't talk. But this legislation might let them talk to the senators and, and hopefully it'll just snowball and, and become a preponderance of evidence, which I think we're at already. But like Chris said, we're at a point now where we can actually start to get to the bottom of this in an official way without people kind of saying oh that's swamp gas you know yeah i think you're right from a private point of view behind closed doors you'll get people come forward private contractors people within the military who who don't want to go public but they can share the information to allow that new office to, to carry on forward with the work it's doing but maybe publicly like you say more pilots come out like other david favors and alex uh, alex dietrich's uh, ryan graves and so on to maybe have those conversations and jump on uh -huh. podcasts and set up blogs and get in touch with fellow pilots, you know, people getting in touch with, with Graves or, or Sean Cahill's of the world and saying, look, how do I best go out and tell my story here? Um, because, yeah, I had an event as as fascinating as the Tic Tac. And then you start to hear all of a sudden, you know, we hear about the Tic Tacs raining down. Maybe there comes a month where we've got pilots raining down everywhere telling us all these stories and <laughs> corroborating the data. So that, that would be my, I think, realistic hope as opposed to we're going to see a set of hearings live on TV like we had where we've got, you know, Bob Lazar standing testifying just to throw some names out there. Um, but yeah, so we'll see on that one. Uh, time will tell. Um, I, I suppose actually, Dan, that might be a really good place just to hoy in quickly about the end of October report because that is kind of sure. just over a month away now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So would you our second public-facing UAP report from the US government that will be coming... The, the yearly date is the 31st of October, but as Bryce Sable uh, rightly pointed out on Need to Know with himself and Ross Coltart, uh, that falls on a weekend. So it's likely that we're going to see it on the Friday before, which is the 28th, and then it kind of gets hidden a little bit. Uh, but the interesting thing that Bryce said about that is that actually when that comes out, there are a bunch of elections going on. And there are a bunch of people that we know have spoken about UAP in the past and have kind of put their reputations on the line. So it'll be interesting to see if they pick up the uap report as a talking point because you know i think we've said it before if you look at how many people have watched these videos online there are millions 
So this could potentially be an election decider issue, uh, but who, who knows if people are going out to vote on that? You know, there are so many other issues that are bigger. I can see you doing the face. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you, I, you... I don't, I don't know, right? Because it's, I don't think it's a a candidacy killer like it may have been in the past. Yeah, I still think there's a majority of of normal folks, you know, general public who don't have a UFO interest that I think would would see a candidate talking about UFOs, UAP, the report, no matter how well they do it, and be turned off by that, because I think it's still a very easy one for other people to go after in terms of slander mm-hmm. and totally be derisory about it, rightly or wrongly. I mean, wrongly, obviously, but I just don't think it's there yet in terms of... But I think there... I'm arguing with myself now. I think there's more people <laughs> who at least would go, oh, actually, this 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 guy wants to talk about UFOs. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And they've spoken about it before. Like you say, it's not a vote killer, but it might not be the first thing on their mind when they're talking about this. Essentially, we're talking about whether they find air defense important, you know, yeah. the national security of the airspace. And that's going to vary person to person. But I don't think that if, say, for example, if someone wasn't going to vote for Marco Rubio, him talking about UAP isn't going to make them vote for him. But it will certainly bring the subject up in in the media and bigger circles, uh, more mainstream circles, if people like Marco Rubio start talking about this. Yeah, I think, well, you've got people fighting to put food on the table, feed their children, clothe themselves, roofs over their heads and, and put gas slash petrol in their cars, depending where you are. Um, those those are always going to take priority, and, and rightly so, um, including, never mind, the war in Ukraine still going on and all that kind of stuff escalating. So it's it's a hard one. And we talked about this, Dan. Um, here's a peek behind the curtain of the UAP media chat on, on our group. <laughs> but like we, we kind of said, didn't we, about is there ever going to be a good time, especially right now, to for the UFO topic in the UK to be discussed? Because look at COVID and imagine at the end of COVID, everyone was looking forward to, oh, when we get back out there and we can see each other again. And and it just seems to be like that That was very short-lived. And all of a sudden it was, not that COVID's gone, you know, our friend Vinny's just came down with it today. Um, get well soon, Vinny. Um, but, you know, that's that's just quickly been taken over by a whole war and escalating gas and electricity prices and fuel crisis and global food problems and produce issues and we just went into a whole nother crisis and it's just like well do you know what and there'll be something else after it probably as well, well. just just to tack on the end there you know if people in florida stay safe i've been seeing yes. the footage of the hurricane oh, yeah, there yeah. but that's a really good example of something that came from left field and is just you know it's taken up the airwaves and it's taken up rightly so uh, you know, making sure people are, are safe. Folks, at the start of this year, I got a bit of a health scare and it kick-started me to getting fitter, healthier and generally looking after myself better. A healthier breakfast was high on my priority list and it should be for you too. Magic Spoon is the perfect way to get in your morning protein, eating cereal that tastes like it did when you were a kid without all the bad stuff. I can promise you there is nothing unidentified in this cereal. The variety pack has four flavours including cocoa, fruity, frosted and peanut butter. This pack has 0 grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein and only 4 net grams of carbs. There are only 140 calories per serving. It's keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free 
free and low carb. It's delicious but super healthy cereal that really brings joy to your mornings, afternoons or actually any time of day. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash that UFO to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code that UFO at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if for any reason you don't like it, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to get your delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com forward slash that UFO and use that code that UFO to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. So, yeah, but yeah, so on that one, folks, hopefully we get some uh, some stuff from the report. Dan, what what are you expecting? Uh, big hype, big letdown. I, I would say, you know, keep everyone's expectations in check. Assume we're going to get the same as last year. I think that's a safe bet where they just kind of tell us the number of the unknowns, the number of solved, whether they're a flight risk about maybe changes to the buckets that they've established, um, you know, which was like weather and private contractors and US tech and things like that. And we have to remember as well, this is the first release from Arrow and mm-hmm. Dr. Kirkpatrick hasn't been in the role that long. Was it June, so- July? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, we heard rumblings earlier as well. So it's possible that he he was unofficially in charge earlier, but it's still not that long to put this together. And he's got to take all the previous information. And, you, you know, I, I would look to potentially the 2023 report as a better example of what he's capable of. This one, as I said, it, it will be a very basic by the numbers. These are the amount of sightings we've had. These are the unknowns. What I'd really love to see is an emphasis on you know the legislation has been emphasizing that if anything is found to be a man-made craft throw it away like we're not interested in that data they're clearly interested in the more anomalous crafts and events i would like to see a deeper dive into those anomalous happenings i know that they're not allowed to share those videos and things and we'll, we'll talk about that but there are still certain things they can tell us you know for example hey we've found five events in the last year of craft that exhibit four or more of the five observables and we're looking into it okay uh final question yes or no answer uh with a little bit of context that the previous reports were hampered and the efforts from the task force by changes at the top and changes of leadership and some would say that was deliberate obfuscation of the work that was going on dr sean kirkpatrick is in there unofficially or not for for the best partner of maybe six months let's say probably less than that in an official capacity would you be surprised yes or no if before the next report came out he was no longer in charge and someone else was i wouldn't be surprised no that's yeah okay that, that's that kind was, of been the pattern so far yeah. right yeah exactly <laughs> you, i always do this when you say yes yeah, or no. <laughs> that, that would be frustrating but yeah i wouldn't be shocked either but listen let's move on um bit of an update this week and what's kind of taken up a lot of the time if you are fortunate enough to to not be on social media god bless you because it's a wild and weird place at the best of times but what's taking up all the conversation in the last week was jay over at project unity um who's been on the podcast before uh, does it's based in the uk and does some some great interviews over on his channel too probably very different to what what i do in terms of interviews and even the guest that he gets on the guests that you get on are, are very different too at times and um, but he had oak shannon who was one of the names on the Eric Wilson uh, Wilson Davis memo. That's and right, yeah. essentially, th- to be fair, Dan, am I right in saying, he wasn't actually a big part of the memo, 
all he was cited as being was the man who Admiral Wilson apparently went to to say, look, this Eric Davis fellow, can you vouch for him? What's his background? What's his credentials? That's and correct. Shannon basically said, yeah, Eric Davis is a guy you should be talking to. And off the back of that, the whole conversation happened that is now allegedly in the, the Wilson Davis memo. Um, the Oak Shannon interview has been controversial for a few reasons because one, he's never really come out in public, but uh, Jay managed to get the the interview sorted out. And what I'm going to do now, Dan, is throw to that interview with Jay. It's about 20 minutes long. We'll paste that in here, folks. And then with the magic of technology, in a couple of seconds, Dan and I will be back to discuss it. But Jay's in best place to kind of... Yeah. Oh, oh, don't fade out yet. Don't fade out yet. Uh, (laughs) Jay's in the best place to discuss the interview, how it came about and all the background around it as well, rather than us going through that. So here's uh, Jay from Project Unity with myself. Thanks for having me on, Andy. I think the last time we spoke was when, at least on the record, was when we did the New York Times thing, like literally, what, like a year and a half ago? It was. It seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Uh, And how times change. But the more they change, I think, the more they stay the same. Um, Listen, Jay, uh, you're uh, away just now. You're out of country. Um, Folks may know that, may not know that. So I won't take up too much of your time because you'll want to go away and enjoy yourself as well. Uh, But you have just released an interview with Oak Shannon on the Project Unity YouTube channel. I'm going to caveat this by saying, folks, this is not a full rundown of that interview. Go and watch the interview if you haven't already on the Project Unity YouTube channel. Uh, make sure you check that one out. It's less than an hour of your time, but with so much focus on the Wilson Davis memo documents recently, it's added a lot of fuel to that particular fire. Some of it I'm sure you were expecting, maybe some of it not so much, but we'll we'll go over that. Um, just a very quick rundown if folks haven't seen that yet, Jay. Who is Oak Shannon? Well, Oak Shannon's a, a U.S. Navy veteran, a U.S. Navy officer, um, who during his time within his military career ended up becoming, uh, he's also a nuclear physicist. He ended up becoming the special projects manager for Los Alamos National Labs, which a lot of us know is pretty high up on the list of uh, potential research facilities that may be holding on to uh, materials or at the very least were studying the phenomenon in some way. Um, so he he went from the you know the U.S. Navy career into this uh, you know research facility career as a physicist, and he had a lot of exposure to a lot of the main players that we look at as people in the know, uh, people who have knowledge. To my understanding, uh, Oak was never read into UFO programs or anything of that nature, but he knows pretty much everyone who we believe was read in or has, you know, close connections with people that were involved in that kind of work. So it, just that alone makes him a very interesting and important person to try and get on the record. But aside from that, as many people will know, his name is mentioned in this very controversial release of papers, the Admiral Wilson leaks or the Eric Davis notes. And, uh, What's interesting about Oak is the fact that there are a series of statements allegedly made by, uh, you know, Eric and and Admiral Wilson regarding Oak Shannon, uh, regarding his level of communication with the Admiral, his knowledge of who Eric Davis is, even down to him having uh, health issues that prevented him from being easy to contact when they were having this supposed meeting. So I think what's really important about Oak Shannon is that he at least represents another link in that chain uh, connecting this string of the Admiral Wilson saga. And he was 
gracious enough to come on, do an interview and acknowledge uh, at least what he knows to be true, which is his own involvement, the statements made about him in these documents. He confirmed all of that to be true. So I don't know if you want me to quickly say, uh, but basically to give people a, a quick bullet point, he said he knows Eric Davis. He said he knows Admiral Wilson, which of course contradicts what Admiral Wilson said. People will know about yep. the uh, now uh, famous quote that probably won't age very well, Oak who? You know, that's Admiral Wilson's response, Oak who? Uh, which he found quite funny. Oak Shannon found that quite amusing. Um, but essentially he confirmed he knows Eric, he knows the Admiral. Uh, he did have a long phone conversation with the Admiral who was phoning up to gauge the trustworthiness of Eric Davis. And he did confirm that he had a, a very severe heart attack, which actually we get into in our discussion because he had a near-death experience during that time. Uh, but he was gravely unwell and uh, was not easy to get hold of. And all of this is mentioned in the notes. So although he never confirmed, yeah, yes, these notes are authentic or yes, the meeting happened, I, I never expected him to do that. You know, I, I didn't come into that with that intention because he can't confirm something he wasn't directly there to, to acknowledge and, and know as fact. The only thing he gave us is the truth as he knows it. And the truth as he knows it certainly authenticates parts of that document um, because the, you know, what was said about him is true. Well, it certainly seems more obvious that either Eric Davis, Oak Shannon and others are lying about the document's authenticity or Admiral Wilson is staying steadfast in his denial that it ever happened. And you've got to be respectful that you can see why he would deny this constantly. Yeah. Um, I know which one I believe is more likely. What about yourself? Oh, unequivocally, the, the meeting and the, the documents are, are accurate and true. Um, it's like you said, no surprise that Admiral Wilson would deny all involvement. I mean, I understand that we're taking this from the notes that are still in question in regards to their authenticity, but he said very explicitly to Eric, allegedly, I will deny everything, all involvement, any of this, all of it. And that's exactly what he did. But Oak Shannon, he's not active in the UFO world, not even like Eric Davis, who's been on interviews. You know, this guy, he retired from his Navy career. He's now, uh, you know, an evangelical Christian. He's, he, he came into that faith later in his life. He just wants a quiet life uh, away from all of this. And he didn't have to speak to me. We were very fortunate that he decided to speak to me. But this isn't someone that wants to be seen as a figure and of some, of some level of importance. He, he really doesn't need that. So I, I find him very sincere and very credible. Um, so when he sits there and he tells me that, you know, yes, he did speak to the Admiral. And yes, he did have a heart attack, which Linda, his wife, confirmed. Doesn't seem to me like he's making these things up. Why would you? Um, he has nothing to gain from making this up. He has nothing to gain from even coming on the record. He's got more to lose than to gain. Um, and it certainly, you know, took us putting him at ease and making him feel comfortable with us to uh, to engage on that. So I I think, you know, I, I already felt very secure in, in my belief that these are legitimate notes. So the Oak Shannon situation has just pushed that meter even further forward. Um, Obviously, I, I understand that people don't like to speak in definitives, and I, I don't like to either. But the annoying thing about this situation is people who are directly involved, I'm not going to say a name, but I think people can understand what I'm saying here. At least one individual in that scenario between Admiral Wilson and Eric Davis has acknowledged this off the record, not publicly. And I know that that sucks because we want to have that public acknowledgement. 
But for me, it's just kind of like, look, guys, connect the dots here. Like, you know, they're not denying it. Like Eric Davis has never denied it. He's put out some very strange statements like the Stephen Greenstreet interview where he talked about how Obama had like updated the security classifications and that there were risks involved. It It's it's about, I suppose, in some way reading between the lines, but I feel like the dots are pretty easy to connect here uh, when you look at the wide scope of this whole situation and just kind of piece together all of these different statements from different players. And now we have, uh, you know, a new player who's given us statements that can be validated and authenticated. So, yeah, I'm I'm pretty secure in the idea that these are real. Yeah, the way I see it, I've talked before about a, a jigsaw puzzle and if the Admiral Wilson... Davis memo is is a puzzle in itself. It's got a lot of missing pieces, but this is one of those big pieces for me that's now fit in to say, well, yeah, we can kind of make out the picture now, but there's still some more to go. Before we look at the fallout, Jay, how did the interview come about? Because like you say, this is a character who wasn't in the in the conversation as such, other than his name on some paper. He wasn't looking for this conversation. With all due respect, and I can say this from a place being similar to yourself, he's not jumped on Joe Rogan to have this chat. You know, he's gone to yourself. So it's a very specific way of getting this out. And obviously you want to protect sources and such as well. I respect that. How did this come about as best you can tell us? Yeah, well, I mean, I've been I've been pretty fortunate during my time in this research field, and especially over uh, this last year, I've secured some very good contacts, both former and active within uh, the intelligence community. And I mean, you know how it goes, Andy, when you secure a good contact, you also secure access to their wider network, which means your network grows with them. So I have people that I can reach out to who can reach into the intelligence community networks that they're a part of to ask on my behalf, you know, if this person or that person would want to engage with me. And sometimes it's a no, and sometimes it's a yes. And when it came to Oak Shannon, it, it was a yes. You know, they invited me to have lunch with them. And I was fortunate enough to get some assistance in relation to flight, travel, accommodation costs. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to uh, pull this off, to be honest. Uh, I was I was met at the airport by a contact of mine who's a retired intelligence officer. Uh, this individual drove me to a place uh, where I was meeting Oak and his wife, uh, Linda, and uh, this person joined us in the conversation. I, I think it helps to have someone with a similar background to Oak. Uh, it sets him at ease. I think it's probably what got me through the cracks in the first place because uh, like we said, Oak doesn't make himself publicly available to to just anyone. He's He, he doesn't want to be in the forefront of all of this. Um, so having an Intel guy uh, with me made Oak feel like this would be handled professionally, which it was. And they really enjoyed meeting us uh, and vice versa. I had a lovely time. We had a great lunch. We we talked for about three hours. And uh, and it was during this talk that the idea of an interview was brought up and uh, and subsequently agreed upon. Uh, you know, they really are they really are lovely people, good natured people, and uh, and I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity that they've given me and uh, for the continued friendship we now have. So as we record this, it's the twenty seventh of September. The interview came out a couple of days prior. Since then, there's been a little bit of you know we stay away from the drama. Jay, you tend to stay away from the drama on your channel. It's not that type of YouTube show. Um, I hate the word show. Of, podcast whatever you want to call it blog everyone's got different names for these things don't they but it is what it is and it puts out really good information with some very high level people that others can't get access to grant cameron is a big name when it comes to the wilson davis memo grant has been keeping back a set of notes from uh from oak shannon 
that were to be released when Oak passed. Grant Cameron, from what I can see, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, I've watched Grant's piece and I've looked online. Grant saw that Oak had come forward through yourself, decided that, well, the, the notes don't have to be held back anymore because Oak's came forward. He contacted Oak. Oak said it looked like that was okay for him to release the notes. Grant was due to go live with Nicole Sakach on her YouTube show. And they basically started the show and there was some online back and forward saying basically Project Unity has has blocked this release. You said you denied this. Again, this is all factual, no drama here. But from your perspective, Jay, what happened that those notes weren't allowed to be released through Grant? Yeah. Um, first of all, look, Grant Cameron's great. I've got a lot of respect for him. He's been in this field for a long time and he's done incredible work. So you know, nothing against Grant Cameron, but, and I don't want to start a drama. Like you said, that's not my style. It's not your style. Um, but I should just be clear about my position on this. So what I will say is that I flew to Florida. I met Oak Shannon and his wife, Linda. I spent time with them. We had lunch together. We talked for hours. Uh, like I said, they're lovely people, good natured, kind hearted people. Linda's primary concern is the well being of her husband. Um, and since they're both gracious enough to not only meet me, but to also agree to do an interview. My primary concern is the safeguarding and overall well-being of Oak and his family. Uh, you know, people need to understand that this wasn't easy. And, you know, Oak doesn't just open his doors to anyone. I've got nothing but respect for him. All I did was contact Oak to make sure he was comfortable with what was about to be, uh, what was about to be released, what was about to happen. Now, some people are saying, what has it got to do with me? Well, those people obviously haven't cultivated sources with sensitive information because they seem to think I should stop caring about my sources well-being if someone else is planning to reveal information about them, which is ridiculous because my concern for Oak's well-being doesn't end with my direct interaction with him. It continues as a sense of obligation to a man who was quite happy leaving all of this behind him. Seeing him get dragged into things online is upsetting. And, um, you know, when people are... When people who are supposed to be experienced in handling sources and sensitive information decide to hastily post a bunch of documents online that, guys, contained unredacted social security numbers, you know, perhaps people can see why I was concerned. This type of information should have been washed out. It's a, it's a major privacy breach. And this was the kind of thing I wanted to avoid with clear communication. Now, lastly, Oak Shannon did turn around and say that he wants this to go through my channel. And this has given people some impression that I was like pressuring Oak or telling him it should only be released through me. This isn't true. The truth is that Oak trusts me. Oak likes me. Oak understands that I was the one who took the time to fly over to his home to sit with him and his wife. He respects me. And so he decided on his own that he would prefer this to go through me. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I've made plenty of mistakes during my time in this field, but this situation isn't one of them. I've got nothing to apologize for. My sole concern is and always will be the safeguarding of my sources and making sure they're comfortable and feel safe. I've got nothing but respect for Grant Cameron. I don't know who it was that posted them up originally, unredacted, but it was a part of that network. You know, these they, they needed to have done more due diligence on that. It wasn't fair for that to go out without Oak giving it the full okay. And... I, I think what happened was he'd originally said, yeah, you can do that. Just make sure you wash out any sort of, uh, you know, sensitive details. 
Yeah, I didn't know he'd said that at that point. So I just sent an email to Oak saying, hey, are you comfortable with the fact that this is happening? And I tried to contact Grant Cameron, but he hasn't got back to me. Just want to make sure you're cool with it, basically. And that's when he responded saying, well, Jay, I'm actually not that comfortable with it. Um, and I was just like, okay. But then suddenly they went up, they went up and they were unredacted. And, you know, I don't know what the laws are in Canada, but I'm pretty sure in the EU posting social security numbers is actually a, a breach of the law. I'm not 100%, but it's certainly a, a massive breach of privacy and it shouldn't have happened. Um, of course, I'm not blocking anything. For I mean, first of all, I have no power to block anything anyway. Like they had the notes, they were going to do it anyway, regardless of what I have to say, they were going to post them. So I, I don't see why it would be put onto my shoulders as, oh, Jay's trying to block this. And why would I want to block anything that's coming out to push forward disclosure? I mean, I'm in this with you guys. We want the truth to come out, but you've got to do it sensibly. You know, there's ethics in journalism. I mean, if this was done in a, in a conventional journalistic environment, People would be fired for, for posting that kind of, uh, you know, unredacted information. So all respect to a fantastic researcher who has engraved his name into the history of this subject. This was, a, this was an oversight. And I just wanted to make sure there was clear communication between us before this went out and the Oak was okay with it. And that didn't happen. And that's why I was upset. But at the same time, I just think it could have been handled better. Um, we should just let the past be the past. Luckily, and I'll let people know, Oak's um, security number was not exploited out. So like that was an old one. It's dead. It's not, it's not the same um, details that he's got now. But there were two other people on there that had their details revealed. And who knows, maybe they're still active and that might impact them. So it's just about being careful with what you do at the end of the day. You know, getting that information out is important, but getting that information out at the expense of other people's safety, that's not cool. Yeah, thanks for clearing that up on, on your side, Jay. Like I say, many folks have seen Grant Cameron's uh, YouTube piece and, and maybe some of the stuff posted online, and it's always nice to be able to get both kind of sides of things. So, um, And while sometimes the truth can be somewhere in the middle, like I say, I'm just asking to see where things are at. So that, that makes sense, though, and appreciate the, the angle you're coming at that from. Um, what do you hope the impact is going forward of that interview you've done? What do you want the lasting impact to be? Well, I mean, I, I think that the Admiral Wilson documents are being used as a strategic card for congressional and certain committees to push into the private sector. I mean, we didn't touch on this, but the fact that Dr. Gary Nolan went on, you know, Tucker Carlson and, and said that he believes they're authentic and he did that with Ross Coulter in the documentary. People need to remember who Gary Nolan is. He's connected to all these people, Hal Puttoff, Eric Davis, Lou Elizondo, Christopher Mellon. Do you think he just went off the reservation and decided to say that? Hell no. This is strategic. It's strategic. And so he's now pushed that ball forward by legitimizing it and having the background of his own authenticity, which is just evident because he's one of the world's leading geneticists. He's extremely uh, successful in his career. He's a genius, to be honest. And uh, at, the, at the same time, he's sitting there and willfully acknowledging that he believes these are legitimate documents and he has that background with these guys that would make you go all right well he's not just going to say that for no reason he's obviously sat down with them and they've said yeah you can say this they just can't say it themselves and there's legal implications as to why they can't say it themselves which might explain maybe a part of this push to get a safety mechanism established for whistleblowers it may be you know a component of that desire to do this so i think that the wilson documents in general 
which have now been you know inserted into the congressional record and are available on the Congress website to download, which is insane. I mean, you've got literally documents about reverse engineering programs and a director of the intelligence agency, defense intelligence agency, uh, being denied access to them on Congress's website. That's mind-blowing to me. But yeah, I think that my hope for the interview, um, and you know, this isn't me puffing my chest up or patting myself on the back. I've, I've been told by people that, you know, there are certain members of the executive and legislative branch of the US government that watch my interviews, Congress that watch my interviews. And I would not be surprised if it was the exact same for you, Andy. These people are watching what we're doing and they're listening when we have, you know, big players on, people from the Intel community on talking about this stuff. So it's no surprise that there are eyes on certain podcasters who are getting these people on and talking about this. So my hope, and I've emailed a few Congress people these, you know, the interview to encourage them to look into it and, uh, and see if this can be used in any way. But I think that ideally, I would like to see this push Congress even further into pressuring the private sector and the more clandestine areas of the Pentagon when it comes to research and development programs about what is actually going on. And he didn't say this on the record, but it's fine for me to let people know that Oak Shannon said, I asked him, you know, if people approached you from a, a, a select committee or from Congress and asked you to testify about what you've been telling me and what you've said on the record, would you do it? And I actually thought he would say, well, Jay, you know, I, I don't want to be involved. But he said, no, I will. I, I said, sorry, he said, yes, I will do that. I would, I would do that if they called me to do that. So I hope it can at least step forward through Congress. And, and you never know, we might see Oak Shannon in a congressional setting saying that this is what happened. And I think it's pretty obvious that he knows a little bit more. Um, Again, you have to be very respectful with these kind of people. You can't just push and push. There were loads of things I wanted to ask him during the interview. You know, like, obviously, like I've had people saying, why didn't you drill down on the advanced theoretical physics group? It's like, because we spoke about this. And I have to be respectful of someone when they say, yeah. look, I don't want to get into this or that or the other or speculate. He, he was very clear that he didn't want to speculate and, and kind of come up with ideas about other people and other things that are happening. He was just like, I just want to tell the truth as I know it, the facts as I know it. And, and that's what he did. You know, he told us that the parts of the notes that involved him were authentic, which is a, a, a really strong signifier of their legitimacy. He said some other stuff, some other interesting things that there were people at Los Alamos National Labs that were at least, and I'm still not 100% sure if it was official or not official, but he said that it was just kind of like an unofficial interest by people within Los Alamos Labs. But that they were, you know, researching and conducting some forms of uh, experiments to figure out what exactly this phenomenon was, and that they had come to the conclusion that it was in some way interdimensional in nature, um, which he expanded on a little bit with his physics. But I'm not a physicist, so I, I won't pretend to fully understand the implications of what he was uh, what he was saying in regards to that. But we definitely got some interesting things from him. Um, you know, even his own UFO sighting, which I thought was kind of incredible. And uh, I, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen the film Nope? Have you seen Nope yet? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I watched Nope like the day before I interviewed him. And then he tells me about a UFO that he thought was living, <laughs> like a living being. I was like, I don't need to hear yeah. this, right? I don't need to hear this. <laughs> 
Well, listen, Jay, uh, many people have done pieces on the Wilson Davis memo. Richard Dolan has a huge four or five part deep dive on it. Um, Joe Murgia has a mega blog on it, which is very well known. I've done my own piece recently with Joe Murgia on audio and YouTube and many others have. So if people aren't well versed in the notes or the document, still go back and check any of those out. Um, Jay, thank you very much for your time. I encourage folks to check out your interview still with Oak and the others in your back catalogue. And is there anything that you're currently working on that you want to advise the listeners of before you head off? Well, I've still got a couple of people to meet in the States, and I'm really looking forward to the uh, conference on October the 8th in Manhattan with Dr. Gary Nolan and James Ian Dolly, Christopher King, and a, a, you know, a bunch of others. So uh, I'm looking forward to kind of going there and shaking some hands and maybe securing a couple more interviews. And I've recently, I've been talking to and I'm scared I'm going to mess his name up. Salvatore Cesar Pay or Pai. I, I don't know how to pronounce his, sec- uh, his last name. Um, I always say Pai, but Pai. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Salvatore, I've been talking to him and he he, he would like to come on and, and have a conversation. So that's going to happen in October. Uh, but apart from that, just, you know, enjoying my time out here. It's a bit of business. It's a bit of pleasure. And uh, I don't really want to come back to the UK, as I told you before we got on record. But at some point, I guess I have to. <laughs> It's a burning forest at the moment, but yeah, some of us are stuck here, so enjoy your time away. Jay, thanks very much for breaking up your vacation slash business trip to join us. Uh, You're most welcome, mate. Anytime. It's been a tough few years for many of us, juggling a lot that life has thrown our way. As someone with a young family, finances have never been more important, especially with the soaring cost of living day to day. That's where credit.com can help. There is a way you can begin to take back some control of your financial situation. Extra Credit is a product from credit.com that gives you unmatched credit coverage. You might have checked your credit score on a free app then when trying to make a purchase on credit, like a car, found it wasn't quite what you expected. Extra Credit from Credit.com gives you access to all 28 FICO scores to see exactly what lenders will see. Extra Credit not only gives you access to those 28 FICO scores, but also helps guard your identity with $1 million ID insurance, dark web scans, and data breach alerts. Plus, you can get cash rewards for selecting personalised offers. As someone who, as a student, racked up a lot of debt, I can relate to having to rebuild my credit score as an adult. There's no better time to do this than now. The past can't be changed, but you can begin to rebuild your future today. To sign up for extra credit, go to credit.com forward slash that UFO and get started there. To sweeten the deal, you can even get the first seven days absolutely free. It's just $24.99 plus tax a month after the free trial. You can cancel any time. So go check out extra credit today and start working on your credit goals. Thanks to Jay, who took some time out on his vacation in the States to uh, to speak to myself. Very much appreciated. Thank you, Jay. And like I sort of said to Jay, regarding the, the controversy that happened online with Grant Cameron as well, I think the truth tends to lie somewhere within the middle of these things. Maybe a few wires got crossed. Maybe there was a little bit of A, a little bit of column B. And whatever's happened, there's been a little bit of a falling out. Um, but hopefully, I would say Grant Cameron, Jay, and others who all do fantastic work in their own right, can just get past any kind of disagreements and, and just kind of move on um, into doing the good work that they do, because that's it, a little bit unfortunate. I, I think they will. You, you know, people, this is a really good example, actually, of the drama kind of distracting from the conversation a little bit, right? Where we've got this amazing interview that's happened that we've wanted to happen for a long time. And instead of talking about the contents of the interview, people are talking about the circumstances of who released it first. Hmm. 
doesn't matter really ultimately you know it's out there this is this is chinatown baby you know <laughs> yeah um i actually could have had oak shannon on about two months ago dan i never told you really um, no that's not true i just wanted oh, to add to the, to the rumor <laughs> mill um but someone will have paused that there and went oh my god they could have had him on and didn't um but that's how these things happen uh, so yeah it, like you say it I think for many of us, it doesn't matter. I've never been one to, oh my God, I have to scoop people or be the first one to release something. I'm, I'm not particularly fussed on that myself. And different hosts have different styles and different takeaways. So we all and, and actually all a, a good example there was when you released the, the hearing video of Lou. And I was trying to get you to slow down so I could pop it up on YouTube and, you know, pop, pop the podcast logo on it. And you were like, nope, don't care. I'm just going to put it out. And, you know, it, it's about getting the information out and moving the ball down the field. It's not about anyone being first. Yeah. Although I was. So, yeah. <laughs> 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 no, so, um, yeah. So it, it, it's again been one of those conversations that a little bit like seeing Chris Mellon and Linda Moulton Howe talking, I've seen loads of other UFO Twitter names and personalities and groups going back and forward. Gary Nolan and John Greenwald have been having a little bit of tit for tat, all all very much good natured. Um, Tim McMillan's been been clearing things up and discussing it. Joe Murgia, Grant Cameron, Richard Dolan. Um, Richard Dolan just last night again has released a show. Again, Dan and I have managed to watch that today, um, where he gives many people, including Jay, big shout out for the work they've done in terms of the Wilson Davis notes. Um, very quick rundown. I recommend people go and watch. We'll put the link for it in the description, Dan. The Richard Dolan show. It's only 54, 55 minutes long, which for Richard is, I mean, a snippet. That's a YouTube <laughs> short for Richard, isn't it, normally? Yeah. He likes his longer form, and um, he does a really nice rundown uh, and summation of the notes in the Wilson Davis memo. If you haven't checked out the one, uh, the deep dive I've done with Joe Murgia, do go check that out. But um, Richard Dolan gives a really nice, quick summation of what he thinks of the notes, bringing it back up to speed. And then I agree with what he says, though, that after all of this controversy, it does seem a little bit redundant because so much conversation is coming from the fact that it doesn't actually change the contents of the memo or what you think about them. Because people like myself and yourself, Dan, and many others agree the notes are genuine and that meeting did take place. And for me, it's just a useful puzzle piece, like I said to Jay. Yeah. That and a jigsaw that's getting filled in. Oh, now we can see that, yeah, from Oak's point of view, he did vet Eric Davis for Admiral Thomas Wilson. And Admiral Wilson, when asked about Oak Shannon, said, Oak who? Yeah. And he's just been kind of staunch in denying his involvement in all of this. But he is always going to do that, understandably, unless and, and something Wilson, major changes. You know, he was threatened to have his stars taken away. His, his whole career was threatened. Whoever he spoke to, if this is a genuine document, was outside of and above the law uh you, jay actually put a, a really fair statement online i thought that that hits the nail on the head he, he wrote oak acknowledging and authenticating the statements that relate to him that are in these notes provide an extremely strong argument for the their legitimacy the admiral will deny the meeting because he broke the law slash security oath if we change the law we may he may change his view and that relates back to the legislation. You know, Admiral Wilson could be one of the people who are waiting saying, yeah, I'll talk to you, but you need to get this law enacted first. Otherwise, I'm just going to deny, deny, deny. And part of me thinks as well with, you know, in, in the notes, Wilson approaches essentially the, the gatekeepers mm -hmm. of the legacy programs. And he's told what they're working on and he's turned down as having access. Yeah. It, it's always kind of gotten under my skin that they were so open about what they were working on. And I wonder if maybe they didn't tell him the truth. Uh, it doesn't, that doesn't mean that, you know, they have no involvement with UFO stuff. 
but it certainly makes me wonder, you know, who are these people? What are they actually working on? And how, how come that they're, they're outside of, of, you know, congressional oversight and, and presidential oversight? What it seems like in my head, Dan, is that he's he's found one of those corridors or stovepipes that Tom DeLong talked about. Sure. And he's gone down the corridor, knocked on the door. Someone's opened the door, but not too much and kind of stuck their head out. And he's kind of looking in the background as if like, you know, oh, what's going on in there? And they've went, crash retrieval program. Ah, oh, okay. Can I find out more? Nope. Well, why not? I'm, yep, yeah, you, you just can't. And they've slammed the door in his face. And it's like, oh, they've, they've, they've admitted, yeah, we're, we're working on these things, but you can't know any more about it. And then that's it. Locked out. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, like you say, it's tantalizingly frustrating, but I get why Admiral Wilson denies, you know, everything because it's very easy for him to do that. And until he comes out and says, yes, that meeting happened, well, let's be fair, that is a game changer in terms of the conversation. Admiral Wilson coming out and saying this meeting happened and the notes are genuine isn't far off a picture of a black triangle being released in terms of gravitas and weight because all of a sudden a very senior figure is admitting or completely lying that there are crash retrieval programs downcraft we know about aliens existing you know all that kind of stuff so it would be huge and until he just changes that one no to a yes that's that's the way it's kind of going to remain yeah definitely i'm just going to quickly run through the implications richard at the end Go of his video it. had a few really interesting uh bullet points where he said you know if if these are real then these are the implications um the implications are aliens are here and they are real that we have recovered their technology, including an intact saucer, that their technology is far beyond our knowledge and capabilities, that private military contractors are attempting to study and replicate that technology, that contractors have exceptional levels of protection for their work from the US government, they're immune from all types of inquiry, including the highest level intelligence officials, we don't really have any idea who is in charge, it's clearly not the US president, the SAP, uh, which is the, the special access programs uh, connection to this program, are buried within the DOD. Uh, Dolan has been told privately that there are similar programs in the CIA and the Department of Energy, that there's a significant wall of secrecy around the program, and that includes media coverage, uh, mainstream media coverage, and more, that th they've extracted significant amount of money for R&D, security, engineering, manufacturing, and operation. You know, that's not going to be cheap that someone is benefiting from all this, whether it's a private contractor or someone else, we don't know. Someone has got a benefit from this. And ultimately, that if that program exists where they harbor this technology that's so advanced that could change the world and so on and so forth, it means that we essentially currently are living in a fictitious reality that's kind of built by a small group who are concealing the actual truth about aliens being here. Now, that last statement is very, very loaded, right? And, and it, your mileage may vary. But if that is true, and there is a somewhat breakaway, like little civilization group of people with this technology studying it, it, it amounts to possibly the, the most astounding smokescreen in history, not just US history, but history entirely in terms of the human race. 100%. And until that time, I think the last week in general, it's been a little bit overblown in terms of reaction and conversation and what's come from it. Ultimately, we have a little bit of confirmation on a very mysterious document, uh, which is a kind of small win for the good guys, I think. For those of us who support the document's legitimacy, yes, one of the names on there has come out and said, yep, I, you know, I vouch for Eric Davis and Admiral Thomas Wilson does indeed know me. 
So that's that was good to hear because again it goes down to really basically Oak Shannon's lying or Admiral Thomas Wilson's lying. And yeah. And the argument around the Wilson Davis memo. Admiral Thomas Wilson right now, the the evidence very much leans towards him being the one who is is not being truthful, but understandably so. So yeah, um, Dan, let's, in the time I've got left, because we've been going almost an hour now once the, the J stuff has been in as well, sure. we'll run through some other news pieces uh, kind of short form. Um, first one, the logo situation. So sure. recently the NIM Aviation logo, which is an official DOD department. Yeah, is that yeah. correct? Official yeah. DOD department under the, I want to say, the National Intelligence, uh, ODNI, uh, the office director of national intelligence there you go so many acronyms to remember <laughs> there's too many to remember to the point now i just throw stuff out there and sometimes i'm right and sometimes i'm not um but yeah they, they released a, a logo uh, a new kind of patch type effort and these things have always got kind of crazy designs and you do some of these yourself don't you but when you're with an official government and you release one on your website which has several different types of aircraft prototypes drones all that kind of stuff but in the bottom left a great big flying saucer um kicking about it certainly is going to raise some eyebrows now. Dan, very quickly, what did you make of the whole situation? Because we talked about it from early on and were relatively sceptical about what it may or may not be. Yeah, right from the get-go, I was pretty sceptical. You know, things like that, they make me narrow my eyes because I'm like, "Eh, it looks too good to be true. They they usually are, you know. I thought you were going to say poor resolution, but that was (laughs) a bad joke. And and there were there were two different logos on the website as well with two different UFO sources in them as well. So clearly one of them was a draft. Everything was misaligned, and and people immediately just you know went diving in about what it could mean. The U.S. government and the military has a history of having some rather esoteric symbolism on their patches, and I've learned been fortunate to learn that working with people like Tim McMillan, the journalist, uh, he he has a particular affinity for patches and the the kind of semiotics that are on them, you know, the symbology. And so I can confidently say there is a history of the US government having aliens on their patches and things like that. Yeah. But in more of a cutesy way, never in a, this is the official insignia of the department. It's more of a, you know, soldiers to soldiers on a particular mission or, you know, something like that. They'll have mm-hmm. a tongue in cheek patch that isn't necessarily official, but kind of is internally, you know. My inclination is that this patch because you can buy it online from a reputable patch creator uh that only deals in military patches that it's more of an internal thing it being put up online could be a multitude of things that it brings me to thinking about we, we always talk about the human element in these things you know ultimately we have someone probably that you know, they, they're a career professional uh civil servant and they might click the wrong thing when they're uploading like a new logo to a website or something like that. There are a whole load of other broken links on the website as well. So it's not like the website was particularly functional yeah. and finished and things like that. Um, but it did shed light on the fact that... Can you hear the... I, I can hear the ice cream van coming, yeah, Dan. That's uh, <laughs> government disinformation on its way. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So oh, the ice cream van totally threw me. Uh, yeah, so so Tim McMillan said that NIMA is just being cute, and the patch means they gather intelligence on all foreign aerospace platforms, including unknowns. Yep. People correctly pointed out that a few months back, Lou Elizondo made um, allusions to this department, NIMA, actually having a big impact on the discussion of UAP, and, and it wasn't clear what that was, and a lot of people thought, oh, is it this logo? It turns out, no, it's not the logo. Uh, Lou was talking about General Dan Simpson and referring to the early actions that would lead 
AOI MSG, the previous incarnation of the UAP office, yep. to become Arrow, which is what it is now, uh, which meant that NIM-A had to now be part of the loop for national intelligence estimates on UAP. So essentially, it could be a mistake or it could be something popped up to, to say to the public, hey, this is where you need to look. We're, we're overseeing this whole thing. They were the ones that helped prepare the report. That's probably where the next report will be on that website. So we're all now on the same page looking in the right direction. Yeah, I've got nothing to add to that one. It was interesting. It, it was no way, shape or form the kind of sinister thing people thought it was or people overlooked into it that it's more of an admission and drip feed. It's just, it was a logo and it was genuine, but you know, it is what it is and it's kind of all blown over now. Um, yeah. next well, up, what was the statement they put out? Uh, that uh, erroneously, erroneously uploaded, posted, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And, and that could mean anything. It just could mean that Karen, you know, uploaded it wrong. Um, or if you want to go to, to the other end of the scale that we we've heard for years now that within the DOD, there are people that want this out and there are people that want to keep this secret. We could have just seen a little scuffle between two people who were on either side of that fence. Someone posted the logo, someone took it down. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, there was also some other updates very quickly. Uh, Ronnie Verney, Brazilian journalist who has been dealing with the updates on the hearings that happened, the citizen type hearings that happened some time ago in Brazil. Um, I asked him if there was any news on potential hearings happening in Brazilian Parliament, Congress, and he said everything's on hold just now because elections are due in Brazil through October, so there'll be nothing till November at the earliest. And again, we we know what happens when things change in terms of leadership and local and international elections then yeah that that could put things on hold for a little bit longer as well so anyone wondering about the brazilian hearings and elections if you've been in touch that's why so yep uh, nothing more to say on that one um dan the dart mission recently yeah. uh, we smashed an asteroid to bits which sounds like a great idea in 2022 <laughs> doesn't it well, we didn't smash it to bits. Uh, you know, I, I've seen. I can't remember. Oh what God, it never was, But yeah, if we if we blew the asteroid up, we turn it into many other asteroids. Uh, but the idea was that we could hit an asteroid with a spacecraft and change its trajectory. So if we can see that an asteroid was going to hit us, we could just send a spacecraft up to hit it onto a different path, and then problem solved. It's not going to hit us. Uh, be better than sending uh, or training oil rig workers as uh, as astronauts <laughs> thanks michael bay but yeah they they sent it up it hit properly uh, the you know the video is available online very cool and it, it's a really amazing feat imagine throwing a dart 10.5 million kilometers to hit a, a target that's 160 meters wide whilst traveling at 22,000 miles an hour as i jokingly said the other day we still have people on earth that can't even park between two white lines yet nasa are there doing that uh it, it's impressive we we don't know we know that it moved the asteroid about 17 meters. We don't know if that's enough to make it, you know, shift off its path enough that it wouldn't hit us if it was going to. But we'll find out over the next few months. But the cool thing was that it was the one of the very first targets that the Hubble telescope and the James Webb telescope simultaneously looked at at the same time, which, you know, kind of a cool nerd fact there. So if that asteroid had any reason to think it was being picked on, it would be correct because we looked at it with several telescopes and launched <laughs> launched a projectile at it. But yeah, the video was really cool. And I always think it's amazing that we can get those kind of images back so clearly and from the distance they have to travel. And it's one of those, you know, when folks complain about the quality of like CCTV images mm -hmm. and you think, yeah, we're, we're sending back HD pictures from, you know, spacecraft that are millions of miles away. It's incredible. But yeah, we, we do have to remember that that was, so there was like a 30 second delay 
Yeah. And it was sending back still frames that they were kind of amassed into. So, you know, if that camera had been recording crime, the police would not know for at least 30 seconds and the criminals would be gone by the time they got there. So, you know, better definition, but eh. yeah, <laughs> not, not better. It's, it's still pretty cool, though. And it's something that, again, planetary defense people talk about not to go on about it. But it's it's one of those kind of pressing issues that if there was something heading our way, then yeah, we, we do want to be doing this kind of stuff. And I don't think, again, to tie it back to, to UFOs, there was anything necessarily in this that we're defending against anything coming at us because I'm sure any sufficiently advanced technology would be able to dart out the way of some kind of satellite slash probe being Good launched dark, at huh? it from a great distance. Yeah. So yeah, they come in, right? And they just go, yeah, we're just going to swat that away, whatever it is that you're trying to degree turn with. Let it pass yeah. through, transmedium style. But yeah, there we go. Um, Dan, James Webb, James Webb, sorry, I'm James Fox. Another, we'll get to James Webb for the end. <laughs> James Fox has his moment of contact world premiere on the 17th of October. Have you got the details from that? Because people can still buy tickets to yeah. it, can't they? So uh, I'll make sure that the link is in the description. Um, it's October 17th at the Regal LA Live Theatre. It's followed by a Q&A with James. If it does well, they're going to expand it to different screens. So hopefully it'll be able to be kind of, I think they call it simulcasting uh, mm-hmm. on the East and West Coast. And it's actually, I, I feel great for James because I know how disappointed he was that the phenomena didn't get a silver screen release. And it would have been really cool to see that in the cinema and take some friends along to see it if, if I could have COVID, them, wasn't know. it? Like, COVID, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, no one's fault. So, so it's really wonderful to see that James is going to get to present it properly and to talk about it. And then just to touch on, you know, there's been some rumors that while James was out there filming it, that he came across some footage of the beings that were recovered. Mm-hmm. Someone on Twitter posted and, you know, pinch of salt because social media is social media, but yeah. uh, they posted that there's currently a 200K plus offer uh, out there, monetary offer for that person to hand over the video of the creature and, you know, all the materials Apparently, the film was shown to James Fox's business partner, Marco. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we've just got to hope that the person goes for it. It's it's a little disappointing to see that the person wants money for it, especially after you, you know the we got the Calvin photo and that person was so altruistic with it. He just wanted to make sure he was an archive where everyone could see it. And well, it well, 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 does the person actually want money or is the money a carrot being offered, but the person's maybe nervous yeah. or worried about, you know, giving up the footage? Yeah, um, that's, that's a fair. And it that's might even be point. that, yeah, I, I would give you or I would, I'll take 200 grand, but it's not worth my life potentially. Again, it's that immunity language we're talking about going into legislations, whistleblowers coming forward. It's not just, yeah, I'll hand over the video for 200 grand, but or DVD, who knows what it is. It'll be a video, won't it? So, yeah. Well, for, uh, apparently the, the video shows uh, a being lying on a stretcher inside a hospital in, hospital in Virginia in the presence of a well-known doctor in the city. So it could be the doctor that has it. Uh, you know, like you say, there is more on the line than just, just releasing a video here, yeah. you know? Uh, we won't say any more on Moment of Contact. Dan and I have an advanced screener of it. Thank you very much to James and his people. Um, we'll f- record a review, which will be released. Uh, we'll probably release it the day after the, the premiere uh, or once it's released online for people to watch. So it'll be yeah. spoiler-filled. spoiler, f- spoiler filled, um, So don't watch it until, you, until you've seen uh, Moment of Contact anyway. And then James will be on the podcast, I think, about the week after its release. Uh, to, to talk about it too so we'll look forward to that towards the end of the month um 
Dan, much more from yourself you want to talk about? I think there was maybe a couple of bits. Yeah, so there was a there was a debrief article from Tim McMillan that was extremely long, but I recommend to everyone to go read it. Tim basically broke down the classification system in America. So if you've ever been curious about what can they classify, who classifies it, who can declassify something, why mm-hmm. would something be classified, do different departments have different classification systems? This goes into all that in minute detail, and it's wonderful. Like I say, it's a bit long. I, I won't summarize it just because it is well, well worth people's time to look at. But my takeaway from it was that the president can declassify anything except things related to nuclear secrets. Mm-hmm. Anything that's related to nuclear secrets, uh, the only the president's only role there would be to act as a tiebreaker. To declassify a nuclear secret, it takes a will of the, an act of Congress, as well as that being headed up by the Department of Energy. And I know a few people's ears are going to prick up and yeah. be saying the Department of Energy. But yeah, anything related to nuclear secrets would be held by the DOE and by Congress. They would have to act with legislation to get that out. It's also interesting, Tim mentioned something called fog bank. So we, we often talk about, you know, if in the 40s Roswell happens and they've got all this material, what's the likelihood that they still have that material now? And the example of fog bank was included was basically it was a it was a material that was used in manufacturing nuclear weapons. And it was guarded by such a heavy level, heavy level of secrecy that by the time they ran out of said material, they went back to kind of get the ingredient list and the methods, and it was gone. No one knew how to make it. So they kind of had to reverse engineer this. And and remember, this is it's nuclear associated. So these are hazardous materials. This is dangerous work. And even that was lost to time. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes you wonder, you, you know, what, what else has kind of been lost to lost to time. Um, but yeah, it, it's a long article. Highly recommend people go read it. For me at least. It emphasizes that nuclear is the issue here. Um, Lou, Lou has said that before on podcast that he can't talk about nuclear things because they're so heavily guarded. And this is a good guide to why. Um, Tim finished it off with with the saying from G.I. Joe, which he, he says, knowing is half the battle, uh, which is, is very true. I, I think that was a great way to end it. And yeah, go, go read it. Um, the other thing would be to say that there are no above top secret or cosmic clearances, like some people have said over the years, they just don't exist. It's kind of like a registration. That's on a car. what they say, but you yeah, know, they, mm. um, yeah, kind of, kind of like a registration on a car. Each part of a classification will have a meaning. It'll tell you where it's from, who's done it, who has the authority to kind of change it. And yeah, it was really interesting. Everyone should go read it. Then the other thing was Travis Taylor, who, uh, you know, he's in Skinwalker Ranch. He came out as one of the lead scientists on the UAP task force a few yes. years ago, helped prepare the report. He was at PhenomenaCon. PhenomenaCon? PhenomenaCon. That's a, at Vernal, Utah. It's a bit of a mouthful. And some people put videos up where they went to a Q&A with him, essentially, while he ate, ate lunch. They asked him questions, and he just answered them. Uh, looked like a bit of an awkward setup to me. I can't imagine being comfortable with people just asking me questions and me talking with my mouth full. Yeah, and just stuff, while you're but, having something to yeah. eat, people behind you. <laughs> that, that was his break. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they, there were a few things in there that were really interesting. So Travis mentioned that Bigelow supposedly sold the ranch because he was convinced that it killed his wife. How true is that? I don't know, but fairly heavy, right? Yeah. Uh, he he said that Tra- Travis and uh, Axelrod, who we're starting to kind of get an idea of, maybe being Jay Stratton, that they had events happen within literal microseconds of each other at different locations. And we're talking hitchhiker events now, like mm-hmm. weirdness. 
So there might be something to, you know, the event happening at the same time in different locations that, you know, we're talking windows, maybe where, where interaction can be heightened and things like that. A neighbor of Axelrod's had an orb fly through them. Uh, they got a dangerous form of cancer. And Travis said she think he thinks she survived, but she had to go through a whole load of dangerous chemo to get rid of it. Apparently, Bigelow didn't have great equipment when they showed up on the ranch. It was more weird experiments. Like they found fish tanks with cubes, you know, those kind of kid ladder kid ladder cubes yep. uh, inside. Uh, you got to think, you know, they're, they're separating them from the outside world so that there's no interaction. And if they move, that's a kind of communication signal. So it's interesting that it was so um, so low tech, you know, Big, Big yeah. O seems very different to Brandon Fugel, who's kind of set up all these really extensive systems and employed all these really wonderful scientists and basically said, you know, you've got to justify it, but money is no object if you can explain to me why you want this piece of equipment. Uh, Bigelow, it doesn't seem like he, he took that tact. And it was a little while ago, you know, technology hadn't been quite so democratized. Travis also spoke about the recurrence of the number 33 around the ranch, apparently, uh, with hitchhiker effects and things like that, which freaked me out because this this video was split into five parts. And he said this right at the end of one of the parts. And I went to the next video and the amount of likes on the video was 33. That creeped me out a little bit. Uh, but yeah, there's a recurrence of numbers there. You know, that comes up often. And do you know how many episodes of Skinwalker Ranch will have been made by the end of season four? Uh, I don't know how many. What, what do you think? It's going to be 33, isn't it? No, it's not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought I'd say that anyway. But yeah, no, that, would, that would have been interesting. Uh, apparently, they're really kicking things up a notch for the for the next season. So we'll, we'll see them being a lot more aggressive. Can uh, I ask you another yes or no things. question? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Okay. And as a yes or no, so don't give me any fluff around it. <laughs> Do you see the Skinwalker Ranch program going the way of a Curse of Oak Island type show where it never really finishes and they never really find anything? Yes. Okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll continue oh, that debate I mean, another time. You, you said not to add any fluff, but no, I would no, just that's say format-wise, yeah, it yeah. is what it is. You know, I, I yes. think that investigation is forever. that's not to say that the legitimacy around the events of Skinwalker Ranch aren't real, which I believe 100% they are. In terms of a TV show, though, I think there's yeah. certain constraints there, but that's just TV. Um, so yeah, and any more on that one, Dan? Uh, just to say, Travis spoke about an event where he he, and this is a recurrent event where it sounds like imagine someone throwing a baseball at the side of the trailer, but he said, think of it like a basketball. The ball is bigger, uh, so the banging's louder. His trailer's surrounded by cameras, and there's no one and nothing outside of that truck when there's banging on the wall. He's had other people in the truck with him listening to this banging on the wall. And at one point, they heard a female voice as well talking to them, um, and there was no one around. Uh, it made me think of the lady and kind of all those things that are, that are associated with the phenomenon. So yeah, a lot, a lot more weirdness than we see in the series. So it would be nice maybe if someone went in and produced a very serious non-Oak Island format look at the work they've been doing over the past few years. Did I ever tell you about the gentleman I knew from a long time ago who worked on a nuclear submarine uh, from Scotland who at a certain location out at sea, um, they were having something tapped in Morse code on the outside of the hull of the, the ship. Like chills, that's really creepy. And it was like equations for things were being tapped into the on the metal. And some How of the guys strange. on board who knew Morse code were like, yeah, there's this stuff and nothing. Really nothing strange. There. There's so many interesting noises that come from under our oceans that you've got to wonder what and if there's something down there, you know? 
And also the same gentleman told me, and this was when I was younger, that um, they got bumped by... Well, they said that the nuclear submarines would sometimes get bumped by whales who thought maybe it's another whale or kind of nudged them along, whatever it may have been. And I wonder if you meant the country thing. then, just <laughs> yeah, nudging no. into... <laughs> uh, the, uh, it's not that like, aggressive country. Um, <laughs> and there was another time that it got bumped and they thought something was maybe attacking the submarine. That again, that's a long time ago, folks. I'm being very, very paraphrase of here, if paraphrase of is a word that is now. Um, and basically, when they came up, I believe it was Florida somewhere, maybe, or whatever the, the coast was, maybe California, to to put the submarine, you know, where they're in the US, there was a huge claw in the side of it. And apparently, army folks came along, took the claw away, tarp over it, and off it went. And that was it. Super interesting. And, you yeah. know, we hear about things like that doesn't have to be a monster. We could be talking, you know, giant squid with kind of claws in its its tentacles. Could have uh, been a monster. things exist. Could have been a monster, but we would have called that a monster at some point, right? So That would have been a monster in California. Oh, it would have been a mo- very good. Very it would good. Have been, it would have been <laughs> Jim Semivan on the podcast next week, folks. Make sure you check that one out. Um, but yeah, on that, Dan, we'll be finished very quickly with the new James Webb images that came out. Um, what did you think of those? It was Neptune. We saw an infrared and saw the, the rings of Neptune, the lesser spotted rings. Yeah, that's right. It, it's one of those examples of something that's been there all along for us to look at but we just didn't have the eyes to see we had to develop that site and we're still going to be doing that across the electromagnetic spectrum and and kind of looking with different sets of eyes essentially at the universe Nep- uh, sorry uranus isn't really sorry neptune sorry i don't know why i'm saying uranus uh we, we looked at jupiter as well and coming there they... <laughs> <laughs> we, we looked at jupiter as well and that had rings and not many people know that these planets have rings so it's kind of cool to see this spilling out into the world you know things that ideas that we grew up with that they were you know only saturn has a ring in the solar system actually it's not true things exist in other parts of the electromagnetic spectrum and it makes you wonder what else is out there i'm curious to see what the image of earth in infrared looks like only infrared uh, because they've imaged all of the bodies in the solar system so we're going to get a good look at everything that we're used to seeing but see it in a completely different light i just hope we get some images coming out that even the scientists and astronomers looking at them go what the hell is that that's what i want like you know like something they just had no idea would even be there that'd be pretty cool and i don't well, doubt we're going to end up with something like that we're just this isn't james webb related it's not even in my notes but i'll just mention it we, we have a flyby of europa uh soon we're basically we're sending a spacecraft over europa to get images better than we've seen in the past since looking at it in the past we think that it's an ocean world that mm-hmm. underneath its surface uh which is covered in ice that there's water we think there have been geysers kind of spewing out into space and that at the base of those geysers would be life essentially so we could in a few months be seeing images of life or microbial life or under sea life from another planet in the solar system or a moon uh, and or that would be real real interesting smashing some probe into some alien whale and <laughs> god yeah that would be very human wouldn't it oh look we found life but we also killed it so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that that would be so so human and I on laugh. That it's note, a nervous folks, laugh <laughs> yeah on that note folks yeah um god i bet there's protocols for that as well isn't there what do we do if we accidentally kill alien life that there's a conversation yeah. for another time um listen um this week available early and ad free is the whitley streber interview it's just under one hour really fascinating conversation with whitley um and then after that folks october is absolutely packed in terms of guests there's a two-hour conversation with jim semivan 
current uh, co-founder of Tom with Tom DeLong of Two of the Stars. Jacques Vallée is then the guest just a week after that, and then followed by James Fox. So it's a hell of a month if you're going to get on board and support via Patreon, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or if you just want to listen on the free feeds or watch on the free YouTube stuff, thank you very much. Uh, a like and a share and a comment is always very much appreciated. So, Dan, on that note of killing alien whales, how do you say alien whales in Welsh? Uh, I don't even... Uh, we don't have a word for alien in Welsh. Uh, we, we tend to use uh, pobble saren, which is star people. So it would be pobble saren cymraig. You could have just made that up anyway. No, I'm going to care. <laughs> yeah. Go. Okay. Thanks, folks. Speak soon. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was red. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should see because it doesn't really scare me.
Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising, with 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them? Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's Creator Network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Host-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's Creator Network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts. I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life.